now it's time once again for Sweet Jesus. sayings of the Christ. Welcome to Sweet Jesus, Less Popular Sayings of the Christ on the Oregon Trail. Come on. Yeah, man. We're, we're, we're in Oregon doing this show on the road, on the trail, wagon behind us. Yes. It's, it's intense. Um, and I'm here today, Mel Swartz, and with me... Austin Nalen who's been helping out, helping produce the show as well while we're in here. And Scott Hare, not here. Come on, Scott. I know. I don't know Scott personally, but I'm sad he couldn't make the trek. Yeah, me too. Um, it would be great to have him. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe next time. Yeah, next time. Maybe next time. So Austin is the children and youth pastor here at Zeal Church, has his own podcast. Yes. The Life Podcast. The Life Podcast. Find it on all major podcasting platforms. Um, it's been a while since I put out an episode, but I'm just feeling inspired after co-hosting this with you, and I feel like I just need to go record some episodes. Uh, just knock them out, man. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> start dropping more new content. So this is this is weird because it's like a special in the middle of our season one. Yeah season and I I'm still not I'm still debating on what I should do. Like is it one point five? Is it one point one? Okay. How long is your uh, season one like actually gonna be that's a great question. Okay. So you don't <laughs> I'm okay. not even sure. Um should it be you know because I T V is thirteen episodes. Right. right? But Typically, you've already done thirteen episodes. I have. So you know maybe I should do twenty two. Maybe it's like the old Dick Van Dyke series from way way back. They did they would do like thirty two episodes that's actually pretty wild. In a year. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, nobody, I, nobody's that funny anymore. Actually, if you watch, <laughs> watch the shows, man, they're hilarious. Um, anyhow, so, yeah, we gotta, I got to figure out how in the world I'm going to name it. And we want to remind people, hey, if you want to email us at sweetjesus at bitesoffaith.com, B-Y-T-E-S of faith.com, to uh, tell us your favorite saying, We'll give you credit for us destroying it. Yeah. Or um, maybe one of these days, the Sweet Jesus podcast will be on Instagram. You can send a DM. <laughs> you can, uh, you're on Twitter? No? Or yes, you're on Twitter? I, I, we, we are on Twitter. Okay. No, Sweet Jesus is on Twitter and Sweet Jesus made Facebook. Okay. I, I haven't been pushing the posts though. Okay. Well, you got to do it if, if, if you want to just if blow I up actually, big time. Yeah. Well, and if I actually want any interaction. Right. Right. Because nobody emails anymore. Yeah. Instagram's like, the way to go. <laughs> I'm so far behind. <laughs> so check out some of the Sweet Jesus Woodcuts. We are going to have, probably by the time we actually drop some of these episodes, we're going to have the Pacific Northwest Sweet Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Austin's version, which we need to get him one for his desk. If, if at all possible. <laughs> if at all possible. Could you describe this guy for us again? Yeah, I'm, man, just thinking about my version of Jesus, you know, Forgetting the Bible for a second, right. my Jesus would be hipster Jesus, tatted up on both arms, um, 
probably wearing some some nice jewelry, you know, um, earrings, some maybe maybe a nice cross necklace, um, <laughs> latte in hand from Starbucks, um, on his way to brunch, probably. <laughs> I forgot to mention that on the last couple episodes. Yeah, downtown. Yeah, that's that's what you do in Portland. Brunch is the thing. Is that right? It is. That's what people love. I don't. I don't. I don't. Brunch. Yeah. Huh. You're gonna make a restaurant concept out of just brunch. There are a ton of them over in Portland. So, like between ten and one, I guess. <laughs> I guess our restaurants open between ten and one. Beats me. I, so live, I live in Eastern Oregon. I'm, I'm, I'm out of touch with you know the city, Portland, all that. Stuff, I love so. this image. So it's 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 not just a false Jesus here, but it's maybe a false Portlander. It very well could be, you know, because I'm not from over there. But I, I could get the hipster vibe down for sure. Right, right on. That's awesome. We're looking forward to getting that guy out out here um, again. What sweet Jesus is? Oh, I forgot to mention though. You got to be wearing skinny jeans. Skinny jeans. Yes. Is that still a thing? No. Oh, it's I mean, not. it is a little bit. Okay. It is a little bit. It's Narrow. definitely a hipster thing, though. Oh. So skinny okay. jeans. Skinny jeans um, would just make the outfit nice. All right, man. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to interrupt there. No, I thank you for interrupting. Yeah. That's an important detail. It really is. Yeah, Steve's going to need to know that. Man. <laughs> He's going to need to know. So we got to pass that along. So actually, Portlanders, some Portlanders I know, have a game, hipster or homeless. <laughs> oh, no. So this is from Portlanders. This is from Portland. Okay. So, so it's okay. So, yeah. It, it, yeah, I'm just telling you, there's an actual game. That is try to, well, amazing. So hopefully we can't even distinguish our sweet Jesus woodcut between a homeless person or a hipster. It would, it'd be like it could go either way. Oh, my now we're in dangerous territory. I feel like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I feel like the waters are rushing around me right it's now. It's probably true. Maybe we should okay. stop. Well, I mean, honestly, if you're if you're not offended by what we're doing, <laughs> then that probably won't offend you either. Uh, if you are offended by what you're doing, then probably everything we're talking about it'll be offensive. What we're not trying to do is make fun of Jesus. We are not making fun of Jesus. We're actually amplifying a little bit of false Jesus, so that by contrast. Uh, the real Jesus maybe can come out as we talk about the things yeah. that he says are really hard. And there's a bunch of false Jesus out there. We're emphasizing the sweet Jesus because it feels like for me culturally, that's the Jesus that kind of people want or hear in church the most or like to think about the most. We don't generally like to think about the difficult things that he actually says. Yeah. In rereading the Gospels, you start to realize most of what he says is actually really hard. Yeah. And so, and what we're also not doing is advocating like an MMA Jesus, you know, some, you know, overly tough, uh, you know, toxically masculine Jesus who everything he says is hard and rough and you just better, you got to take it on the chin all the time. Something weird like that. Yeah. So we're not talking about that, but we are talking about a Jesus who will challenge you and will say things to offend you on purpose. So, Sounds right. The voice you heard earlier telling us about Portlanders and their new game is James LaFollette, who is actually my boss when I was pastoring here. He's the area leader of the Vineyard Churches in the Northwest. It's the is it is it Eastern Washington, Oregon, right? Yeah. Yeah. So James LaFollette had been in ministry for fifty years, faithful minister of God. Love this guy. He's been awesome in my life. And anyway, James, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, 
uh, how am I going to tell you a little bit about 50 years? <laughs> That's a great point. Uh, and uh, as you well know, you, you don't want to give a preacher too wide of an open door. <laughs> uh, we could be here a while. Now, so uh, just recently, when I say recent, um, just previous to Mel coming to Eastern Oregon here, I was at, uh, at the church for 22 years. And before that, actually going, going way back to the beginning as a teenager, grew up in a Pentecostal church, felt a profound call of God. Um, Age my, of 17, yeah? Yeah, if, like 15. I'd grown up in church, but really I would say had an encounter with the Lord around 15. And by, by 16, felt this nudge and sense of calling to actually to be a preacher was what I understood at the time. And my sister and her husband were pastoring in New Zealand. And long story, but they recruited me to come and pretty much intern under them. And I traveled with them for about seven months in Australia. Then we went to Indonesia together. We got separated. We were supposed to meet back in Singapore. They got called home because his father was... uh, ill and, and dying. And so uh, 18 years old, I found myself in on the island of Sumatra uh, and with a decision what to do. And I decided to continue our itinerary. Wow. And um, yeah, traveled for the next year by myself that's around the world. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's not in 1972. In, yeah, 72, something like that. Long time ago. Wow. Yeah. Don't make me too feel as old as I feel I'm right now. Sorry, but yeah. that was my birth year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, and, you know, in retrospect, I look back and, and I tell people, I said, yeah, I would not have let me be in ministry. <laughs> right. But, you know, um, yeah, my, my brother-in-law and my pastor, and they all, they saw something. And they took a chance, and well, here you are, fifty years he, later. So yeah, I think it was yeah, a good decision. He, there's something about that. I don't know what For else sure. I could put behind my name, but still being on on my feet after fifty years, I guess that's something. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because especially in the wake of recent events, and if you're right. who knows when you're listening to this podcast, but they've been dropping like flies, like these high profile. Ministry people. Well, not not just high profile. I just heard a statistic last week at a leadership meeting that for every one pastor going into the ministry, three are leaving. Wow, that's that, the current statistic. One to three. That's alarming. Yeah, I it, was, it is. I was actually in a, a in a kind of a bizarre program that was supposed to be helpful, but what I noticed was it was really spent a lot of time talking ministers out of being in ministry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that was really weird. But uh but that, yeah, that's not that surprising. It's a it's a it's a, it's tough. Ministry's tough, man. So well, 50 years. Well, and the other part of the context of that statistic is that uh the our our national director has been in touch with a lot of he's been asking a lot of people the same question and to mm-hmm. a person everyone agrees that this last two years, trying to pastor during a pandemic, by far, hands down, has been the most difficult. 
just brutal yeah. time. And it, yeah, it's it's been it's been challenging. Pastoring in general can be a challenge. Oh yeah, and and then throw on top of that all of the political turmoil and just whatever, whatever. It just uh, it's it's pretty pretty challenging. Yeah, man. So I'd heard that you were 18 years old as you were traveling the world. You were in India, and you had an incident. I had more than one incident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, in in some ways, I look back um, and I, I I long for the naivete of the kind of faith that I had. Um, I was. Oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> I was I was in India, eighteen years old. Uh, I didn't really have promise of support. I you you could say well, I was a faith venture, and I remember one time. Um, I think I had $2.70 in my pocket, uh, about as far away from California as you can get in <laughs> India, and, uh, and just being filled with joy because I, I knew God was going to take care of me. Wow. And, uh, wow. Um, you know, now life is way more complicated and full of stuff and full of people and and yeah, two and seventy I went, in your pocket and yeah, it yeah. doesn't feel I, the same. I, no, no. And, well, but... Um, it, it you know so do I have that same kind of faith? Eh, probably not, but hopefully, hopefully it's more mature because it's better informed. But anyway, it it can be a challenge. Um, and of course, uh, people can't see me, but I'm dark skinned so uh, I had uh, more than one incident where I was mistaken for just a local. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. I was in Bombay. And if you've ever seen the trains in Bombay, they're not only full of people, but they're hanging off the sides and even on the top. And wow, really? And oh, it's 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 crazy. It's it's crazy. It's just, just get on the train. There was one however time, you can. <laughs> yeah, there was one time that I was on the train, on the train, and the only part of me that was inside the train were my feet. My feet were inside. I was holding on to the bar, and the rest of me was hanging on the outside, wow, which is kind of typical of how many people ride the trains. Wow. And one time, accidentally, I'm waiting to... You feel like a football player ready for the play to snap, and, <laughs> and you rush in, and it was easy. And I'm like, what was that about? And then I looked up as the train pulled away. I was on first class. Oops. And I had a third class ticket. Uh-oh. So... Uh, <laughs> When I get off my stop, guy from 25 yards away, the conductor, he motions me over, looks at my ticket and says, you were on first class. Next thing I know, I'm in this back room, smoke-filled, overhead fan. It, it felt like <laughs> Casablanca, you know. And, and for 15 minutes, this guy 15 minutes. was trying to uh, make me pay like six times a first-class ticket price. Whoa. Uh, you know, and um, I didn't have the money. I didn't have my passport, which was stupid. But yeah, didn't have your passport. No, it took it took him fifteen minutes before I finally I said, "Well, listen, I'm staying with some missionaries from New Zealand." And missionaries? And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I'm an American. You're an American? Get out of here." So for 15 minutes, he thought I was a local trying to scam the train system <laughs> oh my gosh. and trying to get a, you know, a kickback from me. And when he found out I was an American, he just, he booted me out and 
Wow. Of course, all of the time that that was going on, I didn't know what was happening. I just, right. yeah. I, you know, I'm a dumb kid. Right. I made a big mistake. And so, yeah, that was just one of many adventures. <laughs> I'm sure you probably have a lot of stories to tell. Uh, more than a, more than a few. <laughs> Man, that's nuts. So, equally nutty is the passage we're tackling today. Yeah. But this one is interesting because it is actually a very popular thing that people discuss. Like, if you were to Google this saying, there are a bazillion um, pastors and commentators and, you know, bloggers that have tackled this specific passage. So it's really not necessarily less popular. It is probably the most difficult thing Jesus says, just in terms of its bizarreness. Right. So, and this is eat my flesh, (laughs) drink my blood from John chapter six. So the portion I'm going to read is just a small portion of it because it's really a lot of chapter six kind of covers this, you know, Jesus talking about what real life is, who the bread of heaven is, this sort of thing. Um, and so there's a lot of buildup to where we get to this point, but I want to capture what he says here, and then we'll discuss all the stuff around it. So, because, you know, before this, he's talking about the bread of heaven and Moses and things like this, and then he goes through what he says here, and then the, the there's an aftermath that happens that we'll get into. So from John chapter 6, verses 52 through 59, from the English Standard Version, that's what I'm reading from, it says this, The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. There's a lot right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a diatribe of eating and drinking flesh and blood. (laughs) And he's doing this. So this, I just have to say this much in the synagogue. This isn't just like out in the crowds or out in the sticks somewhere. Yeah. These are the religiously faithful. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you first asked me, you know, what it, to think about a passage, um, you know, heart saying of Jesus, I don't think anything, came, anything else came to my mind. This came to my mind. And, and I didn't do the research that you've done to kind of fill things out. But when you think about it, it just, it, it boggles the modern mind. Mm. But then if you dig into it just a little bit, you know that it couldn't help but boggle their mind. Absolutely. They're, and so, yeah, a lot of things surrounding that. Jesus purposely would do things like this. And this is, I don't know, this is, <laughs> as you were saying a little bit earlier, 
this has to be up there high on the oh, list man. of uh, difficult to understand, yep. mm-hmm. but difficult to swallow. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> pun intended, yeah. <laughs> nice. um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like, because we know from uh, that cannibalism has never been acceptable. Not kosher. Not kosher. <laughs> never been acceptable. So that's so, not so what Jesus like, is talking about here. No, I mean, okay. it, you know. <laughs> How could he give it, us the flesh to eat? Yeah, he, he, had to, he had to know that he was really going to boggle some minds. For sure. Well, it seems like every time he gathers a megachurch, I mean, he's got a lot of followers at this point. And then in John 8, so John 6 here, this is, the, so this is I, I would call it the craziest thing he says, right? Just sounds nuts. Definitely. In John 8, he's just super insulting. You're of your father, the devil. Yeah, <laughs> right? you know? straight up. And then loses another crowd. Shocking, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they, they leave yeah. him too. I just, he's, he's fed the 5,000. In John 6, he's fed the 5,000. Yep. And they literally show up. And it, and it says this in, in verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So here they're about to like make him king because he's fed the 5,000, mm-hmm. right? And, and he, he ducks out. Later, he says this crazy thing and a bunch of people leave. One PR blunder after another, this guy. <laughs> This is the worst marketing campaign of a, of like ministry building, right? Yeah. He's definitely not. This isn't something you tweet, <laughs> but he would have definitely. <laughs> I mean, what, you've got the people, man. Or you, they're following. A, they're believing. A continual thinning out of misperception. They're trying to make him king, but in according to who? According to let's get rid of Rome and let, you know yep. let's go uh, you know boot Caesar out and he's like no that instead of saying no you guys don't understand then he gives them a really hard saying and lets them figure out as it were well that's a great point too so so like let's let's you know obviously I was exaggerating PR blunder but if we roll it back the way we do it today is go oh hold on guys. What I mean is, he didn't do that either. Yeah. No. No, he, he, he I mean, I think of a, a number of situations, like the young rich ruler who comes to him and he, and he gives him the parameters. He doesn't tell him what to do. And we assume that he walked away and never returned. Sure. But maybe he walked away for a period and thought about it. Because I know a lot of people that, that um, you know, you say, well, kids, our kids, as they're growing up, you tell them to do something and they kind of throw a temper tantrum, but then they think about it and they know it's the right thing and then they come back. Mm. I, I kind of wonder about that with the rich young ruler because Jesus, when he looked at him, he said he loved him. I think there mm. there was a connection and... So I don't know, but I, I wonder if he had to think about it for a minute mm. because it was, I mean, that, that was no small decision. Right. That he, 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 was, he was trying to press in and Jesus told him, hey, this is what it's, it's going to cost. He had to think about it for a minute. 
And I wonder, I guess I've seen people do that, where their immediate thing is thanks, but no thanks. But then they think about it a little bit and realize, no, that's the best decision I could ever make. And so they they turn. So anyway, I think Jesus continually winnows or... uh, yeah. What do you what do you call that? You know, just separating out things, calling, yeah, yeah, yeah. calling things, and well, I, to your point, he says things that like this without a bunch of explanation. Uh, it's not something again modernly. Like I always want to put a nice tidy bow on it. Yeah, you know, like you're kind of taught to do that in like a sermon or a speech or something. Like, hey, give them something that give them some handles, right? And I think there's a time for that, but. Maybe not always. Obviously, Jesus very rarely <laughs> makes it easy. Yeah, as speakers, we we want to give people a why. Yeah, and and in this case, like you're saying, he doesn't just drops the mic yeah. and moves yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that um, there's there's a a portion of of discipleship that we as a church um, we we love control. We love to make sure that. Um, people are, are, are learning what we're saying. We want to make sure that they have a grasp on it. But what we do when we try so hard to control these things is we actually take out the, the part where we ought to trust in the Holy Spirit to do His work of sanctification and to do um, His work of, of in that person. Um, so when Jesus says something like this, um, or when He leaves people on a cliffhanger, whereas in church, like if we preach a sermon on Sunday, we don't often leave cliffhangers. Like you said, we put a bow on it, but I wonder how much more effective it would be if we kind of left them on a cliffhanger for them to then go home and say, you know what, I need to wrestle this thing out myself. Like, God, what are you actually saying? Like, what do you really mean by this thing? And I think through that process of wrestling, their faith only becomes more solidified rather than us just handing answers on a, on a platter per se. You know what I mean? So I wonder if Jesus is doing something like that. Austin, what you're saying there, I, I, I can't disagree with. However, I'm concerned that I can't build as big a church as I want, but I might be able to do some really good discipleship that way. <laughs> and it feels a little bit like a decision between the two. But yeah, yeah. I I mean, if 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 Jesus is our example, and and clearly Jesus isn't caring about a numerical following, um, <laughs> I, could you believe it? He doesn't care. He's got twelve guys. And even at the end of this passage, he says, one of you guys is going to even betray me. So he's got 11 guys. Um, if, if, if Jesus is concerned about the 11, then obviously I'm not you know, saying mega churches are wrong or bad. But um, yeah, I think it's, just, it's, it's very necessary for us to reflect on that and say, how did, how did Jesus do it? And maybe I ought to model some of that stuff, too, in my own ministry. Oh, man. Yeah. Because yeah. even in my own life, I think about the times that I've grown the most— have been the times when I've um, taken my own thoughts and doubts and questions to God and, and not when I've just heard somebody else's answer for it. Cause it's, it's, it's like, think, think about it like this. Um, I, I have two kids. Um, they're, they're a little on the younger side, but I even see it now. Um, I can tell my daughter one thing and she's not going to do it. Or for example, she's just an absolute menace when she's around me. But as soon as somebody else is watching her or babysitting her, um, she'll listen to every word they say. (laughs) She'll be an angel. And they're like, oh my gosh, Ellie was so good today. And I'll be like, are you lying? (laughs) No, she, what? Um, And then she'll get with me and she'll be a menace again. But I think it's, it's, 
it's because like I can say something and it's not going to be the same. So um, in our own faith walk, somebody could say something to me and it won't be the same as me figuring out for myself. Yeah. It's you, you learn by mistakes, you learn by trial and error. So we need to take these things to God and say, God, what did you really mean when you said to drink your blood and eat your flesh? Like I can read all the things that I want to read, mm. um, but I might not be as convinced about it until the Holy Spirit begins to solidify some of those things in me. And that's kind of a weird process. And we don't like that because it's not necessarily tangible. Mm. And we love the tangible control, I think. I, and to, to that point, Austin, I remember a pr- very profound lesson that I learned when I was going to Bible school. And of course, you know, coming out of Pentecostal church that I did, we it wasn't necessarily high in, in academics and theology, but I took several semesters of theology and the professor is a, a very wise, took some independent studies in theology, and I won't even, I doesn't matter what the topic was, but it was challenging my presuppositions. It was mm. challenging the theology that I grew up with in my whole life. And I remember every free period that I had, that the professor had a free period, I was sitting on his doorstep asking him a question, what about this? What about that? And, uh, and, I, and I remember the, the conversation so clearly because he, he, did, he didn't give me the answer. It's so he, frustrating. He would not give me the answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm, and, and after several times of like, yeah, but, yeah, but. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll probably never forget it. He said to me, he goes, James, do you want to know the truth? And, I, and I'm like, well, yeah, but. He goes, no, James, do you want to know the truth? And again, he didn't give me the answer. He sort of sent me back. Yep. Look at this. Study this. Wrestle with this. And it was profound because if he had just given me his answer or the answer I wanted or mm. whatever, I wouldn't have wrestled with that. And yeah. I, I think you're right that Jesus, um, you know, the whole thing of discipleship and big church, I'm kind of a both and sort of guy. Sure. And I think yeah. that we need to try to figure out where we are culturally and how we manage that. But I, I feel like we've gone maybe, maybe too far away from this personal discipleship where you do challenge people, even though they might walk away. That that's uh, that's pretty tough. Well, yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, and I'm also not against large churches. Or I mean, it, you can have really healthy, amazing large churches that do great discipleship, and you can have really healthy, amazing small churches and home churches that yep. do that same thing. And you can have screwed up versions of all of it. Yep. So it really, I'm, I'm not advocating for one thing over the other. I More addressing, right, to the point is sometimes we have to make a choice like this, right? Sometimes, like, you know you're going to lose some people if you've been creating a culture that is more answer-driven and more here's the steps here's the seven ways, that sort of thing, then you are like a professor like yours who's like, well, think about it some more. <laughs> Study some more, pray some more, or says something hard, or ask, just ask you questions, mm-hmm. or speak some parables. Mm. And you have to like wrestle, and it's uncomfortable. 
especially when, you know, culturally, and, and even obviously in ancient culture too, people like to have an, a checklist or, or, a, or a process to go through and have a result. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, you know probably more than I do, Mel, but the rabbinical um, response is to a question is to ask a question. Yeah. <laughs> and and there, there's something to that. There's something to that, you know, and you have a question and then you respond with a question. So, yeah, I think that, and talking about, you know, looking back over a long ministry early, I used to want to be the answer man. Oh, right. I'm Bible yeah. answer man. And I wanted people to come to me and me be able to give them answers. And now I, I realize that uh, this, this very thing, that that that's not the thing that helps people grow. And it's not that I won't give an answer, but questions and helping people process tends, in my experience, to produce more spiritual growth. Right well, even just growth in general, I, I'll go back to the parenting analogy because I am very much a an answer guy. Like, I just want to solve the problem. I want to fix it. Um, so, like, let's say, for example, um, my daughter is putting a puzzle together, and it's five pieces, whatever. She's almost three. Um, I could put together a five-piece puzzle so quick, not to brag on myself, but I could just absolutely <laughs> do that puzzle. That. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> but if I were to just let her do it, I mean, it could probably take her, you know, five, six, ten minutes to, to make sure the pieces fit. If I do the puzzle for her, she's not going to figure out how to make a shape fit somewhere else. Right. But if I let her, you know, try to use her motor skills and try to logically think it out, where is this piece going to go? How is it going to fit here? She's going to gain far more from that experience. She's going to grow from that um, rather than my natural tendency to say, you're taking forever. We need to go to bed and clean this up. Like, I'll let you do this hands-on no matter how long it takes or how frustrating it might be for myself. I'm sure Jesus probably looking at some of these disciples was like, how do you guys not get this? Well, he just, literally says that yes, sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. How have long I been I with to, you so long? <laughs> how long do I have to put up with you? Right. I mean, that's a, that's a yeah. <laughs> right on, man. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I heard a guy talking about kids tying their shoes and, and how, like, his default was, I'll just tie their shoes so we can get out the door. Yep. It's morning. We're trying to get to school. And he's like, or I can plan my morning a little different mm. and realize it's going to take five to ten minutes for my kid to tie his shoes. But once he learns how to tie his shoes, I don't have to tie him anymore. And, I mean, he wasn't just trying to be selfish about it, but, like, they, like they have to learn. They have to yeah. struggle through it, the motor skills and all that stuff, you know, like you got to figure it out, man. we got to let people struggle. And I think that's really hard, even as a – you know, an old guy now, I didn't, you know, I want to struggle less with stuff, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hitting the era, the time of my life where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ready to set some things on cruise control or I would like to, but I cannot. And that's frustrating in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And so, but lifelong wrestling, you know, is the thing. Yeah, I, I mean, even... You you talk about old guy. I've got a few years on you. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and I am in a situation right now where, uh, you know, I have said, I've declared, I'm a lifelong learner. Right on. Well, I've got a, a couple of situations where it's like, well, do you want to do you want to play it safe, go on cruise control, or 
Are you truly a lifelong learner? Can you, and I'm not talking about just information. I'm talking about formational things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, decisions sit on the table that will I know will stretch me. Right. That that I will grow as a human being, and that I will grow as a a follower of Jesus. And honestly, I'm I'm a little hesitant. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean into it, mm-hmm. but I'm just if if we're honest inside, I want to recoil a little bit, mm. um, so I, because I don't want to be challenged, challenged, stretched. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, this is stretching. Eat my flesh in a culture that's like what in the world? So it's not like Jews don't understand metaphors, right? Okay. It's not like that they don't get these sorts of things. I mean, these comparisons are made all the time. They create their own illustrations. The rabbis told these great metaphorical stories all the time, right? These different parables. Jesus wasn't the first one to, to speak in parables. But this sort of like insane thing, they really are struggling with it because they're like, what, what in the world? What is he really getting at here? And the aftermath, right, is, is, is people leave. People are like... All right, this is a difficult saying. Like literally, that's what they're saying. It's like, <laughs> like you think, like they left because they couldn't understand it, or left because they didn't agree. Obviously, the text doesn't necessarily say, but I guess what would you infer from that? Well, it, it, the, because the text just says this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Yeah, you know it. It's it probably all of the above. Yeah, and b- before that, it says on hearing it, many of his disciples said, "This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it?" And then aware of that. Jesus said, does this offend you? Well, let me give you a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he does that. And it's, right, it's after that. Doesn't clear anything yeah. up yeah. at all. No, he, he's, yeah, so he's instead like, of explaining or pulling it back, right, he like, takes it up a notch. Let me add another layer to this. And it's after that that it says, uh, you know, from this time, many disciples turned back. Um. And, and when, when you first were asking me about the hard saying and about this, the thing that strikes me about this, it, it, including everything else we're talking about, but the one thing that hits me is I think that more than once in our journey of following Jesus, we will be confronted with confusion no answers. God is not a God of confusion. Yeah. <laughs> not, God's not confused, but I will <laughs> right, not tell right. you that James has never been confused. <laughs> yeah. Because. Uh, this is confusing and uncomfortable. God's not a God of confusion. Therefore, it is not God that's speaking to me right now. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's yeah. where we are. Well, uh, absolutely. But it's, for me, what hit me was, do I know Jesus well enough? So take, take, this little interaction and set it aside, do I have enough of a relationship and knowledge of who Jesus is that I can put things on hold for a second and say, no, I, I know Jesus. I don't understand this. I don't have any category for it. I can't explain it. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, Peter in all his brashness Jesus said to them, uh, you know, are you going to leave me also? And Peter's the one that steps up and says, where are we going to go? 
Well, and honestly, guys, I have said that more than once as, as in pastoring, in being a disciple, in yeah, whatever, good. where I've had to say, what's the alternative? There's yeah. nothing that I've seen or heard that's going to come close to what I do understand. So can I put on hold what well, I don't understand? That's good. Man. Yeah, I've definitely had those points where I'm like, I usually come to two different places. One is, Jesus, you need to return like tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Another ASAP. one. Right. Because things are just too bad. And then, and not just in my own life, you know, the world. Um, but then that other place is exactly that. Um, I do not get this. I'm so frustrated, confused, hurt, whatever. But where am I going to go? I know there are no other answers out there that are satisfying. So however bad this is, somehow, right? I'm going to make it through. He's going to guide me through it somehow. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've felt like Peter, I don't know how many times, or the other, I mean, because usually Peter's speaking for all of yeah. them, right? And I love that he emphasized, it's emphasized even in the passage here, that it's these guys, the 12. Yeah. And yet one of you is a devil. But the thing out. is, have I not chosen you? Yeah. I chose you. And, uh, you know, that brings me back to that thing of, uh, you know, I found it. You can find it too. It's like, no, we, no. Didn't, we didn't find anything. Jesus found <laughs> us. Jesus chose us. And... For, for me, I, yeah, I just can't get away from that. Um, okay, well, then I'm in. And I, I've been in, I'm going to stay in. Now, I've been in this last little season where it's been very confusing to me. So when you talk about confusing, it's been confusing to me that I have years of experience, years of knowledge, hopefully an ounce of wisdom, and it doesn't feel like it's been utilized. And so that's the confusing part. It's like, okay, um, what's happening? And I haven't gotten the answers that I've wanted. But so what do I do? Well, I'm going to keep leaning in. I'm going to keep trying to listen. I'm going to keep trying to follow. And it's, it's not like this saying of Jesus. It's not sure. like, you know, Jesus has given me a difficult saying, but... Yeah, that that's maybe another whole nother uh, podcast you want to do mm. on hid, <laughs> hiddenness and <laughs> where is God when He hides for a moment. <laughs> well, but I mean, that, I mean, it's this that, the experience speaks to that. In this case, Jesus is saying something that you know sounds you know clinically insane. Yeah, right. Um, but it it can be a wilderness experience for us. It can be the space of confusion. Um, because we don't understand what's going on, right? Which is right. really, really right. like if we just use this as a metaphor, you know, when people speak sometimes about Jesus' ministry or what he says, you know, they want to take it less literally and more figuratively. Well, John wrote this; Jesus didn't really say it this way, but John's trying to make this point mm -hmm. that you are going to hear things or go through things in your life that you will never understand and are going to sound too. But if you've been walking with Jesus for a little bit, and that seems to be the difference here too, right? Yeah. 
it's almost a little, I don't know, unfair is not the right word, but the apostles, these disciples, they've got context. They've been rolling with Jesus for a while. These crowds, we don't know where they've come in and out. They were gonna, they were about to make him king after feeding 5,000, but we don't know that they've been rolling with Jesus for any amount of time. With the intimacy that the 12. Right. right? Yeah, so right. those circles, circles of intimacy. Exactly. They, they could have been sort of in the crowd, um, a, a new disciple. And it, yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me a little bit of Moses where, you know, God speaks to everybody on Mount Sinai. You know, when, when, when the Ten Commandments that, that we read were, they were actually spoken. They weren't written down first. They were spoken to all of Israel. And Israel's like, no thanks. Yeah. They're freaked out. And it literally says they shrank back, but Moses leaned into the thick darkness yeah. where God was, right? He walks into it. Why? Well, Moses has a lot more context. That's history. Right. He's got a relationship. He's seen God do things for him, right? And he's spoken to him through a burning bush. He's been merciful to him. He's had all of these experiences with God already. And the rest of Israel's only had a couple. They've only seen a couple miracles. Yeah, and the, and there's a passage that says God showed His acts to the people and His ways to Moses, and there's Ooh, and there's, wow. there's that that level is sort of like yeah God's action is seen by the people, but the intimacy that Moses had, he began to understand God's ways, and that I think that paths yeah. yeah. So let me ask this then, um, you know we're talking about maybe possibly never understanding or like sometimes there might be just things we never get answers to. Um, is this, is this one of those passages? Like, uh, because Jesus is very specific. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I feel like we ought to understand that a little bit, you know, like, yeah. like I want to have life in me, Jesus. Like what? So, so what's, and, and, and Mel, you did a little bit of research on that, but I, in some ways, I think one explanation is that Jesus is speaking prophetically in what we understand as the Lord's table. And, uh, you know, we could go pretty deep on, is it metaphorical or metaphysical? Oh, sure. And, yeah. uh, but It's okay to spend it, a minute on that, too. Well, and I, I, I'm, for me, it's both. So, you know, we, we talk about the Lord's table being symbolic, and I absolutely believe that. I don't know that I would go, you know, to the to the far extreme about it becoming the literal body and blood of Jesus, which some actually believe that it does. Transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. But I I I I think that it's somewhere in both of those. So yes, it is symbolic. But coming back to your question there, Austin, is is like it's not magical, but there's something powerfully spiritual in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the, of the cup that Jesus said. I mean, he's, he, he didn't say this will become when he took it. He said, this is my body broken mm-hmm. for you. This is my blood shed for you. Yeah, you're referencing the Passover meal. The right? Passover yeah. meal. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, there's the symbolism coming out of the Passover. But what is, what is that? I mean, there's something mystical, spiritual, powerful at the very least, that in the, in the 
partaking of the Lord's Supper, we're somehow tapping into this, maybe maybe a little bit. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, to answer the question, <laughs> we're talking about not answering things, but the stock answer, right, the stock understanding, pretty much across all Christendom, uh, is that he is speaking about the, the Last Supper, yeah. right, the Passover meal, where he says, this is my body, right? And then he picks up the cup and says, this is the blood of my covenant, right? So, so we're, but once we get that answer, we just kind of, for, I don't know, a couple decades, I was just like, okay, good enough for me. <laughs> you know, like, oh, good. I'm right, moving I'm, on. Moving on. Like, I, I didn't spend any time really wondering about it. Yeah. I just sort of like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> you know, we're not cannibals. We'll just drink the, drink the, you know, drink the wine and eat the bread. Yeah. And we're good. I wonder if the disciples recalled this conversation at the Passover meal. And they're like, hey, I remember when Jesus said that we were going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Is, it, is this what he meant? Right. I, <laughs> Eye my contact guess between is, Peter yeah. and Andrew. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> yeah. My okay. guess is that it happened after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. They were a little bit on the slow side, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they're Fair more enough. like probably probably several times down the road. Is it the, oh, now I get as it. They, as they were writing this, yeah, yeah. Know, years down the road. But but I mean, this is not the only place where Jesus would say something, or the gospel writers would say something. In fact, I I, I don't I can't call the exact reference, but it's like they remembered. Yeah, what Jesus said, mm-hmm. and it, was, it sort of was like the dime dropped, and oh yeah, this is what he was telling us. I mean, for another podcast, when Jesus said, "Yeah, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man is going to be beaten and mm-hmm. crucified and whatnot," and they're like, "No, no, 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 that can't happen." Um, and then when it happened, oh, we mm-hmm. you know we get it. So I, there there has to be some of that in here. But I'm I'm thinking that, especially when he says, "Oh, were you offended by that?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> As if, yeah, he yeah. he knew that he was Not saying <laughs> something that was yeah uh, was going to really be challenging them. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, and so in John, particularly this gospel, this is where we hear several places in the Gospel of John that Jesus only ever did. What he saw his father doing, or heard, or said. You know, there's right. this very clear connection between Jesus not doing it the way he wants to, mm-hmm. or doing the thing that he thinks is the right thing, so to speak, and giving and giving his obedience completely to the Father, and just joining the Father and doing whatever he's doing. And so, and I wonder sometimes if John keeps emphasizing that. I mean, in Jesus' words, because of things like this. Because he says, like, cause I wonder, you know, because I've had, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've been in a situation where something difficult is happening, and then somebody asked me, like, my take on it or whatever, and I want to say one thing, but then the Lord just kind of drops this thing, no, this is what you have to do and say. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? That's going to be terrible. And it, but, but you can't, you can't let it go. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then you end up saying it, and of course it kind of blows things up, or it or it heals things the way you didn't expect, or whatever. You just think this is this is this is bad marketing. This is a yeah. bad idea right now. And uh, but you know, but then you 
So I wonder sometimes if Jesus, I, this is my cartoon version, yeah. is just like, really, Father, you want me to? <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> Eat my flesh. <laughs> They're going to be so offended. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and then and, and John, uh, John's gospel picks up this thing of the physical miracles are trying to reveal a greater truth, like in the feeding the feeding of the 5,000, mm-hmm. and then Jesus comes and says, I'm the bread of life. Yeah. And um, the opening of the man's eyes is blind. I'm the light of the world. Mm. And so this connection between our physical reality and actions and the real spiritual truth behind it. So, you know, in some ways, this is like, yeah, this is a... I don't know physical a physical reality that it, that that's going to catch their attention, and maybe it's a sign. John uses sign. Maybe right. it's a sign yep. pointing away to a greater truth. So, uh, yeah, if this is an attention grabber, it worked. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I do love that picture of the way that that John does do these miracles where we do have this physical thing, very physical thing. Right. And within a very close mention, I I am this. And so when you use the the blindness and the light, and of course this one where he's like, no, 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 I, I was the, I was the manna. Yep. Right. Bread from heaven. Like this is, this is, you don't get it. Like I was the manna. I'm the snake on a stick. (laughs) It has to be held up. I, I am, he keeps drawing from this one experience in a sign or wonder, and pulling it into, a, a, like you just said, a much larger reality. Yeah. And more than once, Jesus has, he does say to them, uh, you, you guys aren't getting it. Like, like <laughs> right, when he, right, when he feeds the 5,000, and they have the bread left over, and then, you know, they go to the other side, and, oh, no, we didn't bring food, and Jesus is trying to teach them some stuff, and he goes, Are you, do you guys think I'm still talking about, <laughs> right. about the bread? I'm not talking about that. So he did have to talk to them and say, you guys are missing the point. Yep. And this is the point. So there were times when he did clarify. We talked earlier that there are times when he's like, just leave it there. Let them figure it out. Other times, encourage them along. And um, yeah. <laughs> Why does he have to be so mysterious? You know, it's like Bart complaining about yeah. it. <laughs> Probably just worn out. They're like, I can't handle another riddle today. Like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm gonna think about this one tomorrow. Uh, that, Sleep on it. Yeah, that would be me. For sure, man. <laughs> when we would go on the, as, um, I say we would go. Like I've been a bunch of times. I have been twice on the study tours to Israel, and you're hiking and you're learning, and there's teaching kind of interspersed as sort of this follow the rabbi experience. But by three, four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm done. Brains full body's tapped out and yeah. I'm just like they're whatever they're doing or saying I am in the back and I pay no attention at all yeah. <laughs> you know it's like you know it's you know Scott or my wife I, my, I was with on one of these with my wife she's like oh man that was amazing right and I'm like what what about what <laughs> it's after three I have no idea what we're talking right. about <laughs> or you go to a conference where there's no breaks and there are tons of sessions it's uh, like yeah. information overload and drinking no, from a fire I mean, hose yeah <laughs> yep I'm in the lobby drinking coffee with a friend. Having a conversation, yeah. I mean, in, the, in three years that Jesus was with these guys, you know, about three years, give or take, um, 
they were drinking from a fire hose. Like, I mean, <laughs> just constant learning and not understanding. And here they, I mean, now we get to obviously see the, the epistles and all these other letters that have right. been written. And finally it comes to fruition. Like, Hey, this is what he said. But I mean, some of them were sitting on it for quite a few years before they truly grasped some of the things that Jesus had mentioned. Well, yeah. And it, and it takes all of these other experiences as they yep. go along. So even even with like things like the the Gentiles redemption, even in the Gospels, I mean Jesus mentions it, and they have a context for it, right? Because they're supposed to be the Israel is supposed to be a light on the hill. They're supposed to be like this is how the nations will be drawn to God because they'll see Israel doing things well, but they really don't like get it, get it. And it isn't until Peter goes in and meets with the centurion, yeah. you know, and then the Holy Spirit from drops, heaven. Yeah. right? Yeah. has the vision yeah. from heaven. So he has to have several things. And then he's like, oh, now I see God shows no partiality, right? Like if somebody just told him, he would have been like, no, no, God definitely shows partiality. We, we got to do this different. So, yeah, there's this growth change. Any final thoughts, James? Uh, no, just looking back down at Peter's answer, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Mm. So, you know, for all of Peter's stumbling and fumbling and sticking his foot in his mouth, he gets it once in a while. Mm. It's a big one. And yeah, where else are we going to go? And I think that anyone who has truly encountered the Lord and then walked with Him for, you know, any length of time, um, what's the alternative? There's no one else that's going to give us the life that He gives us, even if He challenges us to uncomfortable places. Amen. Yeah. It's good. James, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure. I'm glad you uh, came for a visit. Yeah, man. And you are on the literal Oregon Trail. You know that, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. That's why it's called the Oregon Trail. Yeah, there are wagon ruts <laughs> right down the road. I know. Crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Yeah. So from the Oregon Trail, Mel Swartz. Austin Nalen. James LaFollette. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Till the next episode on the Oregon Trail. On the Oregon Trail. Keep seeking his kingdom. First, thanks for joining us on Sweet Jesus. Join us next time sweet Jesus. The less popular sayings of the Christ. <laughs>